Uh, I've entitled today's uh, lesson a little provocatively, uh, Jesus the Practical Joker, the day Jesus played a practical joke. In this congregation, who is the chief practical joker? Okay, you see, see, it was simple. We all know who the joker is in this church. <laughs> when there's a practical joker around, you all know who they are. Well, we're going to be looking at, um, at, at some things here in uh, the last part of Luke 24. And the location, so we know where we are, is uh, a couple of people walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus which is approximately there. We don't know the exact location, but it's seven miles from Jerusalem, and we think it's around there. So that's where we are today. Let's read our passage, and let's see what we can learn about questions and answers and what it means to, um, well, to learn some things here from Jesus. So we're in Luke 24, and we're going to read from verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them, so that day is the day of the resurrection, by the way. So the resurrection has happened. It's that same day. So that same day, two of them, two of the followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our readers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Right after that, Jesus appears again with them all. I love this passage. I think there's so much in it. There's so much we could talk about today. So many questions, so many strange things going on. And so there are lots of things we could talk about. But what I'd like to do is, is have some discussion for a bit first and then try and figure out what it what the meaning might be for us, what's the helpful material here for us. So first of all, let's, let's, dig, into the, uh, let's dig into this a little bit. And uh, let me tell you about, oh, let me tell you a story quickly first. It's a picture of my father in the center here. Uh, and I'm, probably for, for good reasons, you can't really have a, a good picture of me on this side, a good uh, sight, and my sister on, on this side. So this is many, many years ago. Um, I had hair had nearly as much as you, Bill, believe it or not. <laughs> and at times, almost as long. Um, but this is, I don't know, I was suppose I was in my, uh, it's about 2021 or something like that. So this was my father when he was a headmaster of a school in Ashford in Kent, and in a sense at the height of his powers. And if you have a look at the, I'll show, if you look at the photograph on the screen a bit later on the laptop, I'll show you. My father is, has a, a kind of almost James Bond-esque uh, look at look uh, uh, in his in, in the way he looks there. But um, he was the headmaster of a school, and at the time, at that time, we lived in the house next to the school. So the house, this, the house next to the school, was the old headmaster's house. It was a house for the headmaster, and we lived in that. We don't live there. Any, I don't live any, there anymore. But at that time, we lived right next door to the school, which meant that my my commute to school took two minutes, and my father's did. At the weekends. Um, my father dressed down. You know, he wasn't one of the. He would wear a suit to work, but the weekends he would dress down, and uh, he occasionally would take his wheelbarrow and go across to the school grounds and use some of the grass clippings because the grass clipping there were huge piles of gra grass clippings from the grounds and they weren't useful on site. So my father would get some and take them back to his garden. He's a very keen garden. Had a large area, an orchard, and 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 a, a vegetable patch and so on. One Saturday. He was in his uh, Wellington boots, his old gardening trousers and gloves and a woolly hat and took the wheelbarrow and went through the school grounds, through the car park. And a young man stopped him and said, excuse me, could you tell me the way to the staff room? Uh, he was visiting the school for an interview with one of the other teachers. Had no idea who my father was. And my father just gave him directions and went on his way and got his grass cuttings and came back. How surprised that young man was when he came back on the Monday to see my father in his suit and realized he had been talking to the head teacher. Sometimes you don't know who you're talking to. Sometimes that's a blessing. Here, we have a strange situation where these two men don't really know, two people, we should say. It may be a married couple. A lot of people speculate there's reasons for that, but we won't go to it right now. They don't know, at least to start with, who they're talking to. 
or what's really going on. So let's have some uh, questions here. Can we just circle up, talk to two or three people? We're going to do a bit of this through the lesson. So grab a couple of people near you. And first of all, let's take two minutes talking about what examples of Jesus pretending that you can see. Where is Jesus pretending in this passage? Where is he pretending? So grab someone, just two minutes, not long. What examples can you see of Jesus pretending in this passage? That's our first question. Okay, everybody, what do we found? Examples of Jesus pretending in this passage. What do you see? Anybody? Someone? He does not reveal who he is. Okay, yeah. Anything else? What else? In what other ways might he be pretending? Pretending that he didn't know what had happened. Okay, in Jerusalem. Obviously, he kind of did know, I think. <laughs> right? Yeah. Anything else? Pretending to go on at the end. Seems like he. Yeah. I need to keep going, but he's, ca- yeah. There was. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Guys, do you want to join this group? I think it made more sense to join a group, I think, because we've started a, a discussion that would help. So there we go. Make a slightly bigger group. Unless you don't like them. I mean, if you don't like them, you don't have to join them, but yeah, yeah. No. Okay. We don't like So we'll discuss that later. That might be the topic of next week's sermon. Uh, okay. Any other examples? Yeah, okay. So we've got pretending not to know what they're, they're talking about, pretending not to know what's been going on in Jerusalem. He, he must know what they've been talking about. Uh, pretending not, uh, not to tell them who he is, uh, pretending to be going further. And in a sense, pretending to be persuaded to stay, you could say, maybe as well, right? It's almost like, I mean, in another context, it's like he's pulling their leg over and over again. Like, oh, really? What things? <laughs> so, and that's a whole, the difference between deceit and pretense is a whole other sermon for another time, all right? But no, 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 it, it's not, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Okay, so, so next discussion question. All right, why do you think he asked them that question, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So it's not what's the answer to the question. The question is, why did he ask them? Why do you think he asked them that question? Since he clearly knew the answer himself, why does he make this pretense? Why does he ask them that question? What are, are you discussing together as you walk along? Take, take two minutes for that one. Right, two more minutes. Okay, what do you think? Why does he ask this question of his traveling companions? What do you think? Why does he ask that question? He wants to confirm that they know what happened. Okay, he wants to hear it from themselves, yeah, from them. He wants them to understand what happened. Okay. He knows what happened. Well, he does. <laughs> he wants to know if they know, yeah? Uh, I was just thinking of myself. If I there are two people having, having a conversation, and I kind of join in. I never know what to say. I kind of just go and stand there and hope to kind of become part of the conversation. It's actually a great way to join a conversation. To, to join in. 
Yeah, what are you just what are you talking about? Yeah. It's a test of what kind? What they've learned. Assessment of their learning, yeah. Well, we discussed about the fact that they mentioned that he was the prophet, powerful prophet, but they didn't mention that he was the Messiah. Yeah, well, we're going to come on to that a bit later because that comes in. Good, thank you. Anything else? What's the level of belief? Where are they at with their faith in this, perhaps? That kind of thing. Okay. The next question he asks, you notice how many questions Jesus is asking here. It's really interesting. The next question, why does he ask then this question following on from that question? What are you discussing? But then secondly, what things? Two very interesting words, simple words. Why does he ask, again, discussion for two minutes. Why does he ask this next follow-up question, what things? Okay, so what things? Why does he ask the follow-up question, what things? What do, you think, what do you think is the reason he asked what things? Leon? Not to be too technical, but it sounds like it's going down a Socratic questioning kind of route. Kind of Big name, I don't know. Pursuing, pursuing uh, you know, their understanding of what they're talking about rather than sort of presenting his own ideas or his own, right. uh, his own lessons. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's right, yeah. I think it's a bit like how we are when we're parents, in that, you know, if a child does something wrong, rather than sort of going, what was it that you did? You try and find out what was the story behind that. Mm. Mm. It's almost like he's gently trying to draw their knowledge so that they understand what's happened. Mm. Almost. It's almost like, what do you understand? What things happened? You know, it's almost like that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Good. Any other thoughts? Sad. He wants? To know why they're sad. He wants to know why they're sad. Yeah. Okay, because he can tell that. And then he, they're downcast, yeah. Yeah, and then they tell him what actually happened with the... Because they know that he's said he would rise on the third day. They've told him that it's the third day. But that's when he, he sort of gets a bit... Puts his oar and said, well, where's your face, basically? We'll come on to the, the next bit in a second. Good, thank you. Good. Any other thoughts as to why he asks that question? They could have been talking about something completely different, like the football score, or <laughs> actually, they're obviously <laughs> upset about something, but... Okay, so he wants to know more detail yeah. and to be sure that they are uh, talking about the things that... Well, maybe he already knows, maybe he doesn't, but there's a... There's a, he, has a, he senses there's a need for them to articulate it. Yes? I think that's a good point. There were many other events that were significant, like, oh, did you hear that Barabbas was released? Which may have been highlight for them. Okay, good point. All right. So Jesus is in investigative mode here, almost coaching mode in some ways. Right? Um, I think, I imagine it a bit like this that if you were filming this, if you were making a film of it, you had them walking along, and Jesus asks the first question, and they give him a fairly generic answer, in a sense, haven't you heard what's been going on, an awful lot of stuff's been going on, you're the only one who doesn't know about it, it's not that specific. And then Jesus says, well, what things, with an innocent, wide-eyed look at his face, I guess. And then I imagine the two people they kind of look at each other, like, are we going to risk telling him where we stand? 
because bear in mind, they're leaving the place where their, where their Lord got killed. So they're leaving a scene of danger, knowing that they must be in danger. And I think there's something going on here, because I think Jesus knows more probably than he's letting on, right? I, I reckon he's testing as to their conviction level. Are they going to tell him specifically? what's actually happening and so I, I think they kind of look at each other like can we trust this guy do we have the courage to tell him that's my my sense of it and then one of them says mm, about Jesus of Nazareth and he was a prophet he was powerful and they handed him over to be killed they crucified him we had hoped all this three days later the women have told us some strange things our friends have seen some strange things we haven't seen Jesus. So they go into a bit more detail here. And then Jesus asks a question, although I think it's rhetorical, a rhetorical question really here, when he says after he tells them, well, accuses them of their foolishness, if you like, and being slow to believe, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and glory? You notice that what they haven't mentioned in their description of the events is the word Messiah. I think when Luke, you know, we've got to write, think about this, why is this written down? And why is it written in the way it's written? I think it's significant that Luke makes it, records the fact that they don't mention Messiah. And then Jesus says, well, that's what's meant to happen to the Messiah. So you've got to bear in mind that for a lot of the people of that day in the Jewish community, the, the concept of the Messiah was a, they had a particular view, and it needed to be corrected by Jesus, who was a different kind of Messiah to the one they were accepting, expecting. And so he says, it's really about the Messiah. The prophets talked about him, and, uh, uh, and then, so that he would suffer and then enter his glory. And then he begins with Moses and the prophets, explains to them um, all that's said in the scriptures concerning himself, although he still hasn't revealed that it is himself. And then they break bread. Now, so let's, um, this is our next question for discussion for two minutes. Why did they recognize Jesus when he broke bread and gave it to them? What do you think is the reason why that might be the case? He takes the bread. There are four actions he uh, does here. He takes the bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and gives it to them. And at that point, their eyes are open. So two minutes of discussion. Why do you think it's at that point? OK. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, let's see what we've got. What was it about the breaking of bread that led them to recognize him or, or, or allowed recognition to happen or be given to them? What would you think it was about that? Why at that point? Does this happen, would you say? Could have happened earlier. Could have happened when they first met. Could have happened when he was talking about Messiah. Could have happened when they were chatting about various things. It happens here as he takes, offers thanks, breaks, and gives it. What's going on here? Well, he said originally at the Last Supper, do this in remembrance mm -hmm. of me. Now, they may not have been aware of that particular act, but I think him doing it, opened the mm -hmm. heavens to show them who he was. Something about that going on, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, Joe. So, 
I agree partially with what uh, Bill is saying there, that yes, it was because of the Last Supper when Jesus was with the disciples. But I think Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Mm -hmm. so then if they have to do something in remembrance of him, then obviously everyone else needs to do that in remembrance of him, not just the disciples. So I believe that the disciples went to the other fellow Christians and then showed them that this is what Jesus said. He said, do this in remembrance of mm -hmm. him, and then they would break bread. And they most probably broke the bread the same way that Jesus did. So obviously there was a significant way of maybe breaking the bread, and then obviously mm -hmm. everyone knew how to break the bread. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, thank you. Uh, yeah, sir. Could be. And by breaking the bread, it made that association mm -hmm. because they knew about the breaking of bread. Mm -hmm. But it made that association because it doesn't say that these people were there at the time. The no, it doesn't. It doesn't say whether they were aware of that, but I think maybe that brought the association. It's, it's entirely possible, yes. Any other thoughts? I'm just thinking, Aladia, you know, when, when you're in a learning process and you're bits and pieces of information and you're trying to make sense of something and there comes a point where it all just comes together yeah. and maybe that was just that point that it came together, everything that he said what they said, the remembrance of breaking bread just made sense at that point, it came together Somehow putting all those pieces together it clicked Yeah, yeah. Leon? I mean it's interesting because when we read when we read break bread we make the assumption it's about communion, but this isn't about communion, because otherwise what would you say? What would Jesus say, oh, here's my body, you know, this remembrance of me. I don't think that's what's going on here. This, is, this isn't a communion breaking of bread, it's just a breaking of bread giving thanks. Mm. So I think, I mean, it, it is more of a kind of a, like, people say it's coming together. But yeah, it could be, mm. Jesus is like, okay, time to... Did he maybe just break it in a very unique way that it wasn't recognized? Well, that's possible. That's possible. Yeah? Um, well, it does say in the 31, the eyes were open and recognized. Mm -hmm. So, you can see him, but then he revealed. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why they recognized him. And they recognized him because they knew him, because Cleopas was his uncle. If it's the same one. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. It is definitely possible. It is definitely possible that that's the case. Yes, correct. Yes. Good. Thank you. Uh, anybody else? Simon? I was going to say one thing for sure that when, you know, no one breaks bread like the way, you know, Jesus broke bread. You know. so, so he, he did it the way that everybody knows that it was him. Yeah, yeah. There's something going on there. You got something else? Well, it's, it's further on in 35. Uh -huh. It says, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like people knew that the breaking, he did the breaking of bread. It's really interesting, this. It is, isn't it? Because if, if it was the breaking of bread that enabled them to recognize that it was Jesus in a non-miraculous way, you could phrase it differently to make that clearer. <laughs> And if it was a miraculous kind of revealing, you could make it a little clearer by writing in a different way, a bit to make that clearer. So it's, I'm not sure, 
I don't know. I, I don't know whether this is something that is done miraculously or whether this is something that clicked. Or I, I, It's not entirely clear, which means, I think, that we're not meant to speculate too much about that, but we're meant to notice something. I think we're meant to notice a couple of things. Firstly, that Jesus is the host instead of the guest in the breaking of bread. In Jewish tradition, this is the wrong way round. He's the one going on. They say, come in and join us. One of them, Clopas or the Cleopas or the other person, should have been the host, breaking bread and offering it to him. But he takes over. He takes responsibility. And he acts as host with the bread, giving bread to the other people after having given thanks. There's something about that which is very meaningful. And it could be that that was a click moment for those who were, because they were disciples of his. Um, it's probably not a Last Supper exactly, as you say, Leon, not, not exactly in the way that we would celebrate communion and what Jesus talked about in, in Luke 22 about taking the bread to remember him. It's not disconnected from that at all. It's clearly connected, but it's not exactly the same. It may also have reminded the disciples of the miraculous feeding, because when he fed the 5,000, he did the same thing, took bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it out. It's the same actions, four actions going on at the Lord's Supper, four actions going on at the miraculous feeding, the same four actions, all in Luke's Gospel, happening here. Not likely to be a coincidence. So we have Jesus saying, I'm your host. Now, whether it's a click thing or whether then God says, right, now, now I want them to realize it's Jesus and it'll be an indelibly marked thing in their brains forever that all this happened and they'll go back and tell the other disciples exactly what happened and it will help them to be confirmed in what they understand Jesus to be, the provider of the bread of life, amongst other things. It's a very powerful, powerfully symbolic thing going on here as well as a practical thing. You know why they've mentioned Simon which verse? The one before I read out, 34. Yeah. So it, why they mentioned. Yeah, where was Simon? Was Simon one of the 11? Yes. Yes, one of the apostles. Why did they particularly pick him out? Because he was the first of the men. Right. He appeared first to Simon. It's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul talks about the, the evidences for the resurrection. He talks about Simon being the first one to see the risen Lord of the apostles. The women obviously saw him first, but the first of the apostles to see uh, Jesus was Simon. So that's particularly why he's, he's mentioned here because of that. Now, let me try and draw the threads together to some things I hope will be useful for us uh, in, uh, in thinking about... Uh, about our lives and what this means for us even this week. I think our lives are often, we feel a bit like this in our discipleship to Jesus, right? Sometimes what Jesus is doing in our lives is somewhat confusing. We can't figure out what's going on and why. Sometimes uh, we feel a bit rudderless, like we don't know why we're going in the direction we're going in. Who knows why these people were going to Emmaus? We don't even know. I'm not sure, but they were leaving Jerusalem, that's for sure. Um, sometimes we get discouraged. They are downcast. They've known Jesus, but they're still downcast. In fact, the victory has happened at the resurrection, but they're still confused and downcast. And it, I would say perhaps there are times when, uh, I don't know about you, but there are times when I lack zeal, even though I believe. I, I lack zealous energy for action for God to build the kingdom. And maybe I'm the only one. But nonetheless... 
Um, it happens. And I think we can all relate to these two people walking this road. Right? And there's, some, there's a couple of things from this that I'd like to point out to us that I hope will be helpful for us to overcome this, because there's hope. The story tells us there's hope. What do they do immediately after they have Jesus revealed to them? It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. How far is it? What time of day is it? Nighttime. Evening, getting on towards nighttime. You do not go on a seven-mile journey in Israel in the first century when it's getting dark. That is the most stupid thing ever. It's dangerous. Um, Penny and I were in Israel a year and a bit ago, and we were out at night, sometimes in the desert areas where it is so dark. I mean, it's incredibly dark. And we were, had a little bit of time on the Jer Jericho Road, which is not this road, but, you know, that kind of a road. And it's dangerous. You don't do that. They are so fired up by this experience that they write, we've got to get back. We've got to go and talk to the other apostles, the other disciples. We've got to tell them what's happened. We've got to be with them. They have this energetic zeal come back to them. Something in this encounter. So two things I would suggest we think about. <clears throat> Let Jesus speak to you. When we're discouraged, when we're rudderless, when we're lacking spiritual energy, let Jesus speak to you. And secondly, let Jesus be your host. One of the reasons this happens is because they spend time with Jesus. He asks them questions. They, they talk to him. There's an, there's an ongoing conversation. They're, they are spending time reasoning things through with Jesus. Part of the reason we pray is to reason things through with Jesus. Not to say we're always going to get the answers, but that we're saying, God, this is where I am. This is how I feel. This is what's going on in my heart. I've got to talk to you about it. They open their hearts to Jesus, even though they don't actually know it's him at, the, at that point. But they say, we, we're disappointed. We thought this. We had hoped that. We're confused. We're discouraged. Jesus can handle it. Part of getting, where, getting to a better place spiritually is just being honest with God, honest with Jesus. And that's another reason why we read our Bibles and why we study our Bibles, to take questions to the text, to say, God, I, I am confused. I am discouraged. What, what do you have to help me in this time of rudderlessness or lacking in zeal? Part of, it's, it's a resource book. It's, not, it's much more than that. But it's, it's there to, to help us to, to gain the strength and the wisdom that we need that we don't have in ourselves. So we don't study our Bible because we're meant to, because we're supposed to, or pray because we're meant to or supposed to. We do it because it's the way we encounter Jesus and allow him to speak to us. One of the things you might want to try, if you've never tried it, is a spiritual discipline called Lectio Divina. You ever heard of that? Electio divina. So it's Latin, and it just means letting. It means um, divine word, basically. And it's it's a practice that I don't know. They certainly did in the Middle Ages, and uh, and and many people still do today. And I've done it from time to time. And that means just take us take maybe a verse, a verse that's meaningful to you for some reason, and then sit with it, sit with it quietly, and mull it over in your head. So it might be a beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <coughs> and then you sit quietly after the children have gone to bed or before they've got up or when everybody else is out or something. Sit there, close your eyes and let the words kind of run across the screen of your mind and let them roll around and let, and let it 
not, you don't have to pray or say anything. Or once you've got it in your mind, you can put your book down and close your eyes. And, and that's a good way of letting it speak to you. Because we're now not reading it, studying it. That's a good thing to do. But, but there's another way to read scripture, which is to let it more consciously or ask it more consciously to speak to you, your heart, your mind. That's a way, a way of letting Jesus speak to us. Same thing. You might want to try that. I, I do it from time to time, and uh, I find it very beneficial. Uh, the second thing is to let Jesus be our host. Um, they were, these two people was meant to be the hosts. Jesus took over and said, no, I'm the host. And I think there's, there's so much of that in our lives, right? Who's really running my life? I mean, who's really? Who, who is the Lord of my life, really? Uh, you know, that's, that's the big question for all of us. And for those of us who've made the decision to make Jesus Lord, we've said, well, Jesus is Lord of my life. But you and I know <laughs> it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a wrestling match sometimes. And we're, we, we believe that, but then we take over at times. And we've got to let Jesus be the host, the one directing things. And that's another reason why we pray and read our Bible is to give us the strength, the faith, to the trust to let go and let God direct things and be our, our host fitting in with his priorities rather than asking him to fit in with ours. Living a kingdom life characterized by the Beatitudes. I'm going to do my weekly plug for a reminder about uh, our teaching day, by the way, now. Um, you know, we're going to focus on the Beatitudes uh, in this teaching day at the end of February. Um, please do register, by the way. Thank you, Lisa, for registering. And Penny and uh, your friend registered. Uh, please do register because the numbers will help us to plan well for the day. So if you didn't get the link, let me know and pass it on to other people. But uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm really glad we're doing this on the Beatitudes is it's about, in a way, how to let Jesus be your host. It's about his life, his heart, his priorities becoming more and more ours, being the meek and the pure and the merciful and the peacemakers and, the, and all of what Beatitudes are talking about, connecting with him. And, and then I think as we prepare in a moment to take bread and wine, also allow, allowing him to be our host is uh, reminding ourselves that he was broken for us. Um, but there's something here about the breaking of the bread that helps them to recognize him or that he then decides to reveal himself because they need to know he's the host. A book I read about this said that a lot of people would say that the Sermon on the Mount is the climax of the gospel, or maybe the cross is the climax of the gospel, or maybe the resurrection is the, is the climax of the gospel. This writer said, I think the Lord's Supper is the climax of the gospel. And by that, what he was trying to express is that it is Jesus offering himself for us that we're meant to remember. When you think about the gospel, we should be thinking about Jesus offering himself broken for us. And that's really refreshing. I mean, that, that helps our gratitude and helps us to handle the stuff that's difficult uh, in our lives. So maybe two things from this passage. Let Jesus speak to you. Let Jesus be your host. And, uh, and we're going to, in a moment, take some bread and take some wine to remember all of this. So why don't we pray, and then we will do just that. Let's pray. Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And may your kingdom come in the way that it, 
In the way that Jesus came, we pray that your kingdom would come, not only to us, but to this whole world. Father, we pray your kingdom would come so your will would be done on this earth, around us, and through us, just as your will is done in heaven. Father, we thank you that you don't count our sins against us, but because of Jesus, you've decided to wash them away. We pray you'll help us never to hold our hold others to debts against us because you don't hold those debts against us. We pray, Father, you'll give us the strength to resist the temptations in our lives and help and protect us from the evil one and the malevolence and evil of people around us. But Father, we know there is some suffering in life, that we will be persecuted and opposed. And Father, because it happened to Jesus and he had to suffer. And Father, there is suffering in our lives which sometimes causes us great confusion and sometimes sucks our zeal away for you. So we pray, Father, please help us to, to be like these two travelers who met Jesus, to not give up and to talk and to listen. And we pray, please, Father, help us, help us to let Jesus speak to us. His words are trustworthy. They are true. They are kind. They are helpful. They are healing. They are strong. They're powerful. They give us faith. Father, we pray, help us this week to listen to Jesus. And help us also, Father, to allow Jesus to be our host, to be the one who welcomes us, the one who is our shepherd, who leads us to green pastures, the one who shows us uh, the good life, life to the full, the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light, who will, who will walk with us alongside us, helping us to carry our burdens. Help us, Father, to allow him to be our host, to be our friend. Father, we pray that as we take this bread and wine, please strengthen our remembrance of what Jesus has done for us and strengthen our gratitude so that we can be, we can be the words of life and hope for other people too. As Jesus did, Father, we do today, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his followers. And he said, this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. We do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.